Okay. Well, we are here. Where are you? Here's a little little Latin for you. Ad sum. If you're picking someone up and you're at the door or you're in, down, down in front in the street, just text your friend ADSUM, A-D-S-U-M, it means I'm here. And I'm here with uh, David L. Gray. And we're going to talk about Freemasonry today on this live stream. My name is Patrick Coffin. Uh, we do this um, all the time inside Coffin Nation, but once a month we open the doors and you can see what a uh, Ask Away Thursday feels like. We call it Live Stream Hangout. It's simulcast on Facebook and on the YouTube and InsideCoffinNation.com, where we talk about the inner, the interchange, the inner, the interface you could say between culture and faith, the sources of truth, uh, which is f- fundamentally our Lord Jesus Christ and the classical realist tradition. We defend the West. We uh, shore up uh, broken marriages, and we try to uh, do what we can in our sphere to rebuild the culture, which has been so battered and so tossed around. And Freemasonry is one of those destabilizing effects. We're going to talk about the origins of Freemasonry, why Catholics cannot be Masons by a former high-ranking Mason leader and historian. His name is David L. Gray. He's been on uh, this live broadcast before. He uh, is a convert to the Catholic faith, came into the Church of Rome in 2006. Um, He eventually earned a Master of Arts degree in theology from the Ohio Dominican University and attended my alma mater, Franciscan University. You can check out his other books, The Divine Symphony, An Exordium to the Theology of the Catholic Mass. He joins us now from Greater St. Louis, Missouri. Hey, David. How's it going, Patrick? It's going Glad great. Good here. to see you again. I notice people never yeah. say, Patrick's from the, the lesser Los Angeles area. It's always the greater. Yeah. Why is that? What would be the lesser? Would that, would that be Hollywood? or what, what would that be, be like the San Fernando Valley. It'd be like the, my 818 area code, probably. <laughs> so, I don't know. I'm uh, I'm bouncing the ball here because I know on your YouTube channel, which uh, I'll send people to, you also do some some commentary that is actually funny. I don't know if you if you if the name comedian is on your business card, but it should be. You've got some some comedy chops there, and I like how you're going in and out of focus too. That's like a magic trick. Amazing. I better stay still. Yeah. You remember when Pope Francis? Remember that whole thing with him that they they thought he disappeared. Remember that not too long ago. At some angles, it looked like he had disappeared. Oh, was it a uh, like a green screen TV effect, or what, was it white on white? Why did he disappear? No, he was he was he was peering in a building, and um, and at some angles, it looked like he just vanished. And so, yeah, I don't know if it's a magic trick or maybe just the angle, but it, it was very it was very interesting. Cue the sound of conspiracy theorists uh, rank ranking. Yeah, ranking. it was right. it was it was something else. Yep. Well, when I've I've done uh, coming up on 200 episodes of the Patrick Coffin Show, I've done hundreds of commentaries on on YouTube, and and one of the biggest hits with the most reaction is um, why Catholics can't be Masons. I don't know what it is right. about this topic, David. It's just it hits a nerve for people. It's like a third rail. So let me let me start with some biography on you, uh, just by way of introduction. How did okay. you first? become involved in Freemasonry, and how did you get out? So your, your entrance and exit. Right. So um, I had always wanted to be a, a Freemason, I think, mm. for as long as I was a, you know, as a, I was a kid. You know, my, my, my stepfather was a Freemason. 
Um, my grandfather was a Freemason. And so, um, yeah, when I was a kid, I was going through my father's belongings. I, this is before I knew what a Mason was. You know, mm-hmm. you, you know, your parents leave the house, you, you throw a party or you start ruffling through your parents' things. So I was going through my, my father's drawers. And, and so in, in, his, um, in his bottom drawer underneath some of his clothes, I found a little a bag. And inside it had this book that was all coded and it had this thing I didn't know was a Masonic apron, but and it had a pair of white gloves. And it was it really just fascinated me. And it was like finding out your dad, you know, is a superhero. Like, man, my dad has a cape. And so and then so as I got older, I found out what that was and found out my grandfather was. So I knew that I had to be a free, wanted to be a Freemason. Mm-hmm. And in the community that I was raised, it was just one of those expectations. It was, one, it was like a status symbol. Um, in my community, like you become a ma- you become a, um, a, a man, you become a, a Freemason, and it's just one of those things that you did. So yeah, I was I was in college, my sophomore year, um, I became a, a Freemason. I think I was maybe 20, 20 21 at the time. So mm-hmm. I became a Freemason at a very very early age, um, and rose through the ranks think, you you had ambitions yeah, to so, leadership yeah so I, I think i caught on pretty caught on pretty fast people took an interest in me people liked me and so they started moving me up started um by the time i was 26 i think i was the what was called the worshipful master of a masonic lodge that's the was also called the blue lodge the first three degrees so um i think by, by the time i was 25 26 yeah, i was a master of a of a lodge so mm-hmm. Right after I became a Freemason, maybe the year later, I started, you know, I went up the Scottish Rite, you know, became a 32nd. Then I started working my way up the York Rite and the Royal Arch and the Royal Select and the Knights Templar. Became, went in the Eastern Stars as well, became the highest ranking officer there, became the highest ranking officer in the Royal Arch as well. A little bit after that, a little bit after I became, I was a Warsaw Master, I was then eligible to become um, an appointed officer in the Grand Lodge. So I got a Grand Lodge appointment, started moving up in the Grand Lodge. So by the time I left Freemasonry, I was called a, a district deputy, and which means yeah. you're the representative of the, of the Grand Master over a particular area of the jurisdiction. So as district deputy, I was in charge of all the Western Ohio. So mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. pretty, and, and a lot of other things, you know, I had written history books and books I received. I was I was made a fellow in the Phylaxis Society. Um, I had, went on a lecture tour throughout New Zealand and Australia by my book. And um, uh, I crossed over into mainstream Freemasonry. I was what was called a Prince of Freemason, which is predominantly black. But I was what's invited the, what's into the name again? Prince what? Prince Hall Freemasonry. Prince Hall Freemasonry. Yep. Yeah. And so this is the group um, predominantly, predominantly black. But um uh, in like the late 90s, I had crossed over as well, I had been invited to become a member of the Grand Lodge of Ohio, their research lodge, and that's predominantly white. So I had my feet in both your, your Prince Hall and your, you know, your generally your mainstream Freemasons. Yeah. So, um, uh, yeah, that, that's kind of where I was at until, um, you know, I became I became Catholic. We're, we'll get there. I wanted to ask you about the structure of uh, Freemasonry, because it's not one monolithic thing. It's not like the Catholic Church with lay people and deacons, priests, bishops, archbishops, cardinals, pope. Is there a right. pope? Is there, is, is there an, an equivalent like with the Mormon Church, or is there like one head honcho that calls shots for all Masons on earth? Or is it like a, is it run by committee? How does the authority structure work? Yeah, each, each Grand Lodge is autonomous, um, independent from each other to to a degree so 
Um, the Grand Master of the Grand Lodge, he interprets the Constitution. He makes the rules. Um, Freemasons, they, they, you know, tradition is very important. So in a similar way that we would say that the Church of the Apostles subsists in the Catholic Church today, mm -hmm. uh, Freemasons would say in a sense that the that the Stonemasons' guilds subsist in Freemasonry today. And so, which, you know, we can talk about this, but that, that yeah. that's... But from the from the stonemasons guilds is where you get a lot of the structure in Freemasonry, as far as his officers, the masters in charge of the lodge, and then you have mm -hmm. your wardens and your deacons, um, your your chaplains. So a lot of the offices, um, a lot of the membership structure still is some carryover there from the stonemasons guilds. A lot yeah. of signs and symbols, and yeah. so that's and so that's the grand lodge structure. When people hear you're you're Freemason, they're, they're saying that you, well you're you're a master mason. You have the the third degree of Freemasonry, which properly Freemasonry, that's the highest degree in what is called properly Freemasonry, just the first three degrees, just the lodge degrees. Outside of that, that's when people start referencing things like the 33rd, which is the Scottish Rite, and then the York Rite. And so Freemasons, they wouldn't really consider these higher degrees. They would call these things uh, more exclusive degrees or more select degrees or yeah. other degrees. Right. Right. Um, outside of Freemasonry, we go, oh, you know, we hear the word 33rd and we say, oh, that's high. No, that's that's just the Scottish right. Mm -hmm, right. Mm -hmm. um, now, in the York right it's you know, different parts of the world. It looks a different, different ways um, is different houses. There's a lot of variation in right. every jurisdiction every, throughout you go in, in the world. But as far as the, the Grand Lodge and the Scottish right goes, it's pretty much consistent. And the thing, the important thing also to know about the structure, I would say this lastly, is that the Grand Master is the highest officer in Freemasonry um, in his jurisdiction, and he's equal for every other Grand Master. So in all the other rites and houses, such as the Scottish Rite and House of New York Rite, your Knights nice Templar and so on, mm -hmm. they're dependent upon him for their affiliation, their appendant. So Grandmaster can and the Grandmaster has throughout history at various times have have told the Scottish Rite or the Shriners, I don't want you to be part of my jurisdiction anymore. And they weren't part of the jurisdiction anymore. And every Mason that belonged to those other rites, their their membership just stopped being. And so the Grandmaster is the most powerful and highest ranking um, person mm -hmm. in the in Freemasonry. And the Master Mason is 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 the highest degree in what is properly gotcha. called Freemasonry. You see yep. this, uh, a lot of architect-type symbols embedded on, on temples as you go by in various American cities. Um, yeah. in, in your book, I want to highlight that you've written, uh, it's, it's sort of a, it's a guide, but it's like a dictionary you'd want to have near you, The Catholic Catechism on Freemasonry, A Theological and Historical Treatment on the Catholic Church's Prohibition Against Freemasonry and Its Appendant Masonic Bodies. I'll just flash it right here. Great resource. Um, you mentioned the, the the word Freemason. Does it have to do with the material that that in in the great cathedrals that were built in the post-Protestant revolt era? You had this this um, influx of Masons that weren't basically they weren't building cathedrals anymore, at least in parts of England and Germany, because they were they became Protestant and buildings became very structurally functional only, without the glorious, you know. Um, uh, Renaissance or Gothic architecture is that is the word Freemasonry? Does it have to do with the materials that they commonly used? 
Yeah, in in, in a sense, um, there, there, there's yeah, there, there's you're you're spot on. One reference of, of a term Freemason regard references to the word um, freestone. Freestone. Right? That's the, it. The, yeah, yeah, the, the the stone that was it was a softer, it was a, a chalkier type of material, and so um, it, it was primarily found in, in parts of Europe, and that was what a lot of masons they were using this stone to build mm-hmm. this this freestone, right? So that's in one sense where the term Freemason comes from. The other other term is that masons um, they had guilds throughout Europe. These were the, the people who built the cathedrals, the monasteries, yep. the the churches, the universities throughout. All of Europe, mm-hmm. and so when a builder, you, you know, as, as as a mason, you could work on a project for your entire life, or right. you could be a type of person who traveled from job to job. A job completed, you went to the next job. You know, you were mm-hmm. um, like a free that agent, type of labor, right? right. And so yeah. you were Freemason. Yeah. So you're Freemason in a sense, and so members of the guilds they enjoyed this special privilege of travel. And offering their services, and mm-hmm. because of that, you were a member of the guild, and you were Freemason. You're recognized as such. That you know, you had you had protection where you went, you had safety where you went, you you had stability, you had your burial costs covered, and so it was you know a, a, a true guild system. And so yeah, Freemason would really yeah. refer to those two those two type of terms of freestone and your ability to travel as a Mason. Gotcha. We'll get to your your Catholic conversion and why you left. Um, soon. I wanted to ask you what the beliefs were of Masons. I'm sure some people watching right now who might be just not exposed to what the teach, A, the teaching of the church is, and B, what Masons believe. What's a kind of a compressed summary of Masonic belief, and why is it antithetical to uh, discipleship of Jesus Christ as Catholics? Yeah, that's a great question. It's a, it's a you know, there's so many ways you can go with it, but uh, you know what I liked about it? you did a video on Freemasons. Um, I think it was last year, or maybe earlier that's, this year, right. and I thought it was really good because what I liked about your presentation that you really just stuck to the facts. You didn't get stuck. You didn't go off into the conspiracies or right. this and that. You just stuck with the plain matter of the fact. This is what the church teaches, and that, I think that's really important because we can get off because conspiracy theories. We could get off. Yeah. into the Masonic ritual and yeah. things which, like that. Which president but, was the 33 degree and, you know, on, yeah. the, on the dollar bill. And yeah, you have to, at some point you have to adjust your tinfoil hat. But anyway, <laughs> thank you. Go ahead, David. Yeah. And none of, yeah, <laughs> and none of that, you know, how you adjust your brain is, has anything to do with why, why, why we can't be a Freemason. Um, succinctly, that Freemasonry is proposing an uh, uh, alternative truth to salvation. Mm-hmm. And what Freemasonry is offering is really self-determinism. It sounds like a lot, a lot like um, Pelagianism. Is that Freemasonry is saying succinctly that these working tools of the operative Mason, if you apply them to your life in a speculative way, you can um, become a better person. Okay. Yeah. On the surface, it sounds like well, okay, you know, but. What they're missing is grace in Jesus Christ. That it's not through the working tools I become righteous or good. It's through Christ and his grace. So Freemasonry doesn't include Jesus Christ or God's grace in the equation of becoming a better man. And so, you know, one of the mantras of Freemasonry is that Freemasonry makes a good man better. Mm-hmm. And it does that through the self-determination. And so, mm-hmm. you know, on, 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 um, as Catholics, we don't believe that. That's, you know, that's... Right, <laughs> that's, but that's, that's true. Believe. But yeah. I, I'm, so I'm through Christ in His grace. Yeah. 
if you don't have that experience of Christ, if your Catholicism is basically a box-ticking kind of mechanical mic um, relationship to the church, then there's got to be something that draws you to the lodge and to the brotherhood and the community. Um, because it sounds like it's easy for Catholics who have that living relationship with Christ, who love theology, who are all in regarding evangelization, to kind of look down their noses at Masons, all oh, those stupid Catholics, why would they be drawn to that? There must be some goodness there. There must be some practical way of making yourself a little bit better. Because people are not going to go for something full-on satanic or full-on, you know, some obviously negative trait as a brand. It sounds to me like the the Masonic orders do a pretty good job at advertising themselves as kind of self-help, as a kind of, you know, loyal club of elks or whatever where you can get away from the wife and the noise of your house and the pressures of the job and you can meet and you can have your rituals and um, get ahead in business um, kind of network maybe uh, if they have sacred texts it probably sounds a little bit like Napoleon Hill Think and Grow Rich or Dale Carnegie's How to Win Friends and Influence People in other words well and I want to ask you about the these strange rituals and the promises that you make if you break any of the secret protocols yeah. but what am I half on the right track in saying there there is some self-help principles there that that aren't all bad yeah I like how you, I like how you touched on that uh, a, a person who's not catechized which is a lot of people people who broke, mm-hmm. come up with no faith or are confused yeah. like I was when I was 21 um, I never really really had Christ catechized to me as a child and so when i'm in college and what freemasonry is offering is you know the secret knowledge that that seemed really attractive mm-hmm. aside from that though a lot of the people who i came into the lodge with and a lot of people who i encountered throughout you know my time as a freemason uh, a lot of them joined freemasonry just because it seemed like a brotherhood they knew a friend or a family member who's a freemason yeah they liked the way freemasons dress maybe they went to a banquet seemed really cool maybe they saw the shriners you know ride on a re- little motorcycles and they yep. found out well to be a shriner i got to be a freemason Fez so hat. people be yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> and so people become freemason had become freemasons for various various different reasons um that really don't all the time necessarily have to do with what Freemasonry is going to end up teaching you once yeah. you start getting initiated. True or false, uh, Masonry requires explicit renunciation of the Pope and the Christian religion. Uh, properly Freemasonry, uh, the first three degrees, no, uh, no, you wouldn't, you wouldn't see it. I'm, I'm trying to think offhand. Uh, because the great, the great there, architect... Go ahead. Yeah, I think maybe there is a, a degree, I forget which degree it is in a Scottish rite, mm-hmm. um, that that Catholics will have a big problem with. Um, but I'm thinking through all degrees of Freemasonry, you never, you know, you never hear that any explicit denounce, um, denunciation of the, the Pope or anything like that. Mm-hmm. No. Um, is yeah. God the Father, uh, excuse me, is the great architect idea of God? really uh, a symbol of indifferentism and a kind of mm, natural religion or some deist entity that created the world but is not personally involved and certainly doesn't love you as the God the Father does? Is it kind of a substitute God, the great architect? See what I'm getting at? 
Yeah, I think, you know, you look at Anderson's constitution, Anderson's constitutions, uh, you know, back in, in 1717, and this is the big break here, heretofore, Freemason, I mean, Freemasonry, the lodge system, like the guild system of lodge, you know, has, it's like, say, it, it, it's very, you know, the guild, you know, these Masons, for the most part, throughout all of history, they had been Catholics in, until they were Anglicans, right? Mm. <laughs> and so these are the people who built, so, man, you look at, you look at the, the members of the, of the lodges, you look at the things they believe. One thing, you look at something that's called Hallowell Manuscript, it's also called um, the Regis Manuscript, and this is one of the ancient charges, um, Patrick, that the lodges, they had these charges, these, these ancient charges that really gave the history of the guild, what they believed, what they stood for, and how Mason was supposed to guide himself. Mm-hmm. And in a Regis manuscript, just give you a, a sample of, you know, how, how Catholic um, these Freemasons were. This is this is a part of the, the Regis manuscript. It says, fur and soft without noise. Jesus, Lord, welcome thou be in form of reed as I see thee. Now, Jesus, for thine holy name, shield me from sin and shame. Shrift and Eucharist, thou grant me both. Thou grant me both. Earth that I shall hence go and very contrition for my sin that I never, Lord, die therein. And thou were as thou were made born, suffer me never loss, but when I hence shall win return. And so this is these were your, your Freemasons, very Catholic. They had yeah. a, um, they had like a Catholic requirement. Mo- it's like they had the- modernism, Catholic modernists. Kind of wor- word <laughs> yeah. salad. Sounds good, but man, this is complicated. Right. Now. And so, but this is this is from the eleventh century, tenth century. Mm, okay. I see. So now we're moving forward. Yeah, we're so, moving forward until seventeen seventeen. So pre, this is all what you just said pre seventeen seventeen pre modern Freemasonry. Okay. Right. Good. Now when we get to seventeen seventeen, there's this big break. Right. There's this big break when um, there's this innovation that comes in into Freemasonry, mm-hmm. and these guys get together. They say, okay, let's start a grand lodge system. Um, it had never been heard before, a Grand Lodge uh, governing body over independent lodges. But they said, okay, let's start a Grand Lodge. And this is 1717. In 1723, they decided to write a, a constitution because it's an organization and these, you know, these constitutions and the governance. And so in their constitutions in 1723, it's called Anderson's Constitution. You can, mm-hmm. uh, anybody can read it online. But um, this is when the big break with Freemasonry comes. There's two things I, I would say here that's going to answer the question about, you know, the who is the grand architect of the universe? Is he just some secreted god? Is he, uh, he's, is he a greater god? Is he, a, you know, who is this great architect of the universe? And I think the Freemasons answered themselves in in their in their answers Anderson's Constitution. In the first article uh, concerning God and religion, it says this. Um, in ancient times, Masons were charged in every country to be the religion of that country, whatever mm-hmm. it was. Yet tis now more expedient only to oblige them to that religion which all men agree. Mm-hmm. Their particular opinions to themselves, that is, to be good men and true, men of honor and honesty, by whatever denomination or persuasion yeah. they may be distinguished, whether Masonry becomes whereby masonry becomes the center of union and the means of facilitating true friendship among persons that remain at petrable distance. Yep. And the second one is, is the deal breaker. 
already this is problematic that we're talking about okay freemasonry your religion is a opinion and freemasonry seems to be positioning itself as a greater religion over these subordinate opinions right yeah subordinating christianity and whatever underneath itself and this is when another thing that i think is 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 the nail in the coffin later on it's talking about how masons should be behave behave and it says that in answers constitution um section six um, number two it says that we being only as masons of the universal religion Mm -hmm. As mentioned above, going back to the religion that all men agree on, we are also of all nations, tongues, and kindred languages, and, and so on and so forth. So when we ask the question, well, who is this grand architect of the universe? Well, I think Freemasons answer themselves that they've created for themselves this new religion that is right. greater than every religion that man brings into the lodge. Yeah, that makes sense. So it, it's it's the great wheelhouse. It's the overarching umbrella of all. It organizes, so Catholicism is dependent upon it, all the Protestantisms, Eastern Orthodoxy, every other religion is kind of uh, a part of this syncristic melting pot, which is controlled right. and understood in the broadest sense only by Freemasons. Yeah, that, that lays right. it out pretty clearly. What about the oaths that you hear about? Um Oaths that you'll, you know, I'm making this up. You'll stick your, stick a, you know, stiletto knife in your eye. You will uh, bloodlet if you reveal the secrets at the 33rd degree level. Um, are these occultic rituals that promise torturous acts? Is that uh, urban legend or is that what Masons do? Now the the, the oaths in, um, mm -hmm. I think in in my book in the in the penis section, you probably got to that. You've seen. Uh, one of the earliest exposés of the Masonic ritual. Mm -hmm. um, if you're just joining uh, us, the live streams with David L. Gray, author of the Catholic Catechism on Freemasonry. He's a, a convert to the Catholic faith and was a high-level Freemason influencer and and writer. What were you going to get to, David? Yeah, and so in the, in the back of the book, you, you see a rich, uh, one of the earliest rituals, um, masonry dissected by Pritchard. And mm -hmm. it guides you through, you know, some some of the questions, and answers, and the catechism and Freemasonry. Um, and, and, and regarding oaths, in all Masonic degrees, there is an oath um, that binds a person to the precepts of that degree, mm -hmm. and it swears them to secrecy under the penalty of blah 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 blah. Every every degree is different, but is is generally always gruesome. <laughs> and and Pope Leo. Um, the thirteenth. Um, he had a huge problem. I mean, he he had you know he he, had, he definitely had a huge problem with with the oaths. Um, he wrote. I want to say six encyclicals on yeah, Freemasonry. Six. He was also a yeah, very six. Marian pope. I want to say eleven encyclicals on the Rosary alone from Pope Leo the Thirteenth. Yeah, yeah. It's odd that he's yeah. not you know servant of God or or blessed or Saint Leo. He's I know, so, right? Yeah. Uh, there's actually footage of him. Did you know that? You can see he's the first pope to be filmed. We're talking like turn of the century. He died in 1903, I believe, uh, and I wrote an awful lot. So he was an expert in the principles of Freemasonry. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And there was so always anyway. that rumor. There was always that rumor about him that he may have been a Freemason um, in his youth, in his youth. Um, oh, like well, a lot of men in Europe had become mm. in their youth. Um, but Well, that would give yeah. him, that would furnish him with a lot of info, inside info on what it how the what the machinations really look like, right? 
if he's a former right, insider. Right. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. Okay, so you, you're chugging along, and you're a high-degree mason, and at some point, you, there's a fork in the road, and you realize if you keep reading these Catholic writers and meeting these Catholic people and you become baptized, they're not compatible. What was the reef that kind of broke your Masonic boat? Does that make sense? What was the inciting incident where you realized, I, I can't have both, i got to pick Jesus Christ in his church or continue in the lodge? Was there one issue that was that crisis point? No, it was, it was just when I was, I was going through RCA, um, and I mm-hmm. really didn't hear much about it there. But I am listening to EWTN. I'm listening to you know your show um, back then. Mm-hmm. I'm listening to Teresa Atami on the morning. And, and one of these shows, maybe a few of them, um, I'm hearing that Catholics can't be Freemasons. And so I, I began to research this. You know, this is like, wow, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> And so I found out it's true that Catholics cannot be Freemasons. And so it, it really is a, it was an e- easy choice for me because hmm. I had become completely convinced that Christ, this Catholic Church is Christ's church, that the Holy Eucharist is true, that I can't live my life without it. Um, yes, I think Freemasonry, I learned a lot from Freemasonry. Um, some of its principles, you know, seemed applicable to me at the time when I really didn't believe in God. And had made a lot of friendships, a lot mm-hmm. of good relationships. Yeah. And um, but Freemasonry could only make me a better man. But what the Catholic Church was promising was something eternal. You know, there was opportunity to become a saint. And you know, well, what else is there? Brilliant tagline. Yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> so this is one. This is a really important distinction. I th- I think a difference between the oil that is. Catholicism and the water that is Freemasonry is that no matter what degree of Masonic influence you have, no matter how many of their authors and how many men of virtue that you wanted to um, imitate, Jesus doesn't just give us a better version of us. We get a new, we get a new creation, Mm. right? It's not just improvements and uh, additional stories onto the building. It's an inner renewal where we share in the divine nature. We are divinized. No other religion teaches that, that we are divinized. I guess our Eastern Orthodox brothers do in a different way. Yeah. But that's, that's uniquely Catholic. Um, yeah. 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 And that's not the same thing as, as becoming better at business and um, influencing people and you know, being, becoming better on Wednesday than they were on Tuesday. We're talking a radical transformation, <laughs> a turning around so that you, you know, in the Book of Revelation, behold uh, a new creation. Was that um, was that part of your thinking, in, in in finding it easy to let go of masonry? Yeah, it was. It was. I mean, it's everything that you said was beautiful. I, I really didn't know. I don't think I knew the word divinization. Back oh yeah, then. theodosis. Um, it's yeah. awesome. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so I was just a baby, just learning just the basic <laughs> things. I, you know, I hadn't even really even memorized the creed at this type of time. It was just for me. It was it was church authority, mm-hmm. and once once I believed that. And knew that if I had become, a, a, I, I, just, I just knew I couldn't have both. You know, yep. I can't, you know, serve God and man, you know, that, that type of thing. And I knew that I just wanted to be obedient to the church mm-hmm. and what the church teaches. And it's for, so for me, it was just being a good Catholic and, and being obedient to what the church yeah. is teaching. Yeah. Did you have um, Freemason friends or family that wondered, what, what are you doing? 
why why are you leaving the lodge? Did you get any any, any flack or pushback? You know when when um, there was a time, there there was a time when a number of people who I had known when I was a Freemason um, were struggling with why I can't not be Catholic and a Freemason. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you had you had two responses. One response I still get from Freemasons to this day when, when I talk to them that, oh, well, that's just an outdated teaching. You know, mm-hmm. that's not anymore. That That's that's just the old dogma. We don't we don't we don't we don't believe that anymore. You know, that that, you know, and then there's a response that mm-hmm. then there's a second response that, oh, who is the Catholic Church to decide? Right. Right. So it's from the Catholic from Catholic Freemasons. It tends to be, oh, we don't believe that anymore. But from from Freemasons who are not Catholics, well, who's the, who's a Catholic Church to decide? You believe in God, you know. So, um, mm-hmm. which so, is yeah, a good, it was, it which was is a good lot, question. You know, I, lost, I lost a lot of um, lost a lot of you know people who I thought were you know really good really good friends who you know really don't talk to me to this day. Some do. I still have right. some some people who you know maybe two or three who are still in my life um, from mm-hmm. from that time who I consider true friends. Right. Well, the question that the non-Catholic Mason asks is a good one. Who's the Catholic Church to decide? Yeah, that's the question. Um, you answer that question, you're going to be in trouble because you're not going to last long in the lodge if you're, you know, if you're knocking, the door's going to open. That's a that's a promise from God Himself. Right. Um, the other, I thought you were going to say, oh, that's an old dogma. Catholics can be Masons. Um, and by the way, the church is really talking about European masonry, not the American oh, nicer yeah. with the Shriners yeah, Hospitals yeah. and the, the mini bikes at yeah. parades. Uh, Cardinal yeah. Ratzinger, I believe, later became Pope Benedict the Sixteenth, wrote as as early, as late as 1983, clarifying that that membership in the Masonic Order is uh, it bars you from Holy Communion. So if you're a Mason listening right now, don't believe us. Go to the sources. Check out the Catholic Catechism on Freemasonry and read it for yourself. In the meantime, you might want to not receive Holy Communion because there's a there's a uh, irre- irreconcilable set of principles and teachings. They right. they really are right. oil and water. Right, right. And you still you even have like Catholic Catholics who you know profess to be Freemasons who want to wrestle with that, right? Because literally, um, Pope. Um, Colonel Reisinger says that belonging to Freemasonry is a grave sin, mm-hmm. a grave sin. Um, and it's the type of grave sin, as you say, that bars us from Holy Communion. Now, we, you know, some people may like, like to say the word as communication here because it doesn't seem formal. There's no pronouncement from uh, from a cleric. But literally, X, out of, E-X, mm-hmm. out of, yeah. communion with the church, that is what um, Pope Benedict was saying that it is a grave sin, and it is a type of grave sin that breaks your communion mm-hmm. with Christ and his church. And that's why the remedy for Masonic membership is making a good confession and leaving Freemasonry. Mm-hmm. So we may not like to call it as communication, but literally that's what it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, our our age is, is an age of, of therapeutic deism, and our feelings are the highest God. You don't want to hurt someone's feelings. You know who hurt people's feelings? Our Lord. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we just had the reading from uh, about the Syrophoenician woman who's, uh, you know, asking Jesus for, for, for some help, and he, he ignores her, and then he calls her a dog. I mean, <laughs> whoa! 
That's not very Christian, Jesus. But uh, obviously, the the truth is more important than how we feel. Um, getting back to your, the the loss of friendship that you had, that's a really great snapshot of the fact that that the Catholic faith asks for a first love. So the phrase, I haven't come to bring peace but a sword, Jesus says, that the context after that, the following verses, has to do with mother-in-law being set against daughter-in-law, son against father, and so on. So it's really family. The thing that you think is the, your first love can't be. Uh, so mm. you have to, Christ has to come first. Um, we've got a bunch of Coffination members here who have got some questions. You want to turn to questions, David? Yes, that's right. scary. Let's go. All right, so um, Matthew David Shadrick's Laurel Canyon. Does that ring a bell? Matthew, what do you mean by Laurel Canyon? Unless it's Laurel Canon, like Canon Law. Um, oh, you covered this where you Prince Hall or regular Blue Lodge, so you answered that. Um, what about Albert Pike's Morals and Dogma and his declaration of Lucifer and the Gnostic degradation of Adonai? You know, you, you know about Albert Pike? Did you mention him? Yeah, yeah. I do. Albert Pike um, is someone, especially when, once you're going into the, the, the Scottish right, it's definitely someone you encounter, right? Mm-hmm. He was a mm-hmm. uh, he's, he's Confederate um, um, he, uh, soldier, fighter, general. I don't know. He, he has some serious rank there, uh, yeah. Brigadier General, something like that. And so he's, he's yeah, he's in yeah. He Con- fought for the Confederate Confederacy. General. Yep. Um, yeah, uh, you know, prolific writer. He was what was called a. Supreme Grand Commander of the Southern Jurisdiction of the the Scottish Rite, Sovereign Grand Commander of the Southern Southern Jurisdiction of the, the Scottish Rite. So, and yep. he was really, and he's in his morals and dogma. He goes into some really esoteric aspects that uh, Scottish Rite Masons aren't are obligated to believe, are obligated to accept. Mm-hmm. But what Albert Pike shows you is the doors of the to the occult mm-hmm. that freemasonry opens i was right. just going to say uh, the occultic nature of those yeah. you know arcane stuff and it's all subtle you know the devil the devil is a very effective liar and um the best lies are the ones that replicate the truth just enough to be believable just to get yeah. you in the door and those are the ones i, th- I find that a lot of people want to hear they want you to tell them the truth but they want it to sound like a lie um mm-hmm. And so that's one of the things that's very attractive about Freemasonry and in its in its ethos of having a Bible and an altar of having offices called deacon and chaplain and yeah. um, you know during the Masonic ritual you hear church you know verses from the Bible and things like that is very mm-hmm. is very appealing to people who desire righteousness you know yeah um, the liturgical garb like you mentioned the white gloves and and your father's uh, apron is the apron used in uh, the rituals, and, and is it a carryover from the pouch or the apron that an actual mason would hold his tools in to build? Yeah, so an operative mason, he would have used um, typically a lambskin apron to cover himself, um, protect himself, really, from, from some of the rough stones he, he was working on. It was thick, it was heavy. Mm-hmm. Um, and so um, it's one of those things in Freemasonry, you always take the things the operative Mason is using and you apply some speculative meaning to it. So the operative Mason, he looks at the apron and says, um, uh, the operative Mason used the apron for this, as but Freemasons, you know, were taught to use it for a more noble and glorious purpose. And so the Freemason is taught that the white 
this this is one of those things that alludes to Christianity and Christ. The white lambskin apron, mm. right, is mm-hmm. a symbol of purity and innocence. So, yeah. and the Freemason, you know, after he dies, maybe he's clothed again with this type of apron. So it's it's one of those. Yeah, you know, it has that. It's that 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 subsisting in the stonemason guilds. Yeah, but it's also used in this this building up of making a man better in this syncretic system, this syncretic religion of Freemasonry. Gotcha. Syncretic fraternal religion of Freemasonry. Gotcha. Uh, yeah. Matthew points out that uh, Pike is the only Confederate general with a shrine. He's buried in D.C. as well. Um, yeah. And they took oh. a sta- they took a statue down, or they tried to take it down. Right, I can't recall. Well, Antifa um, take down any statue just because it's a statue. So give give them time. He'll get to Pike. (laughs) Um, What about uh, Tim Johnson asks, how does Egyptian mythology play into Freemasonry? See a lot of the kind of odd hieroglyphs and and, uh, kind of strange religious concepts. How much of that is informed by, by the Egyptians? Yeah, you know, I like I like to say I like to tell people that Freemasonry doesn't have anything original about itself. There's nothing original mm-hmm. in Freemasonry. Freemasonry just copies, reinterprets, reimagines, uh, repurposes everything. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, you see a lot of import with the Eye of Osiris, you know, the all-seeing eye. Um, Is that on the dollar bill? Um, Is this on yeah, the dollar that, yeah. bill with the Novus yeah, Ordo yeah. Secularum, the new the new world uh, uh, order? Is that is that a Masonic symbol on on American paper currency? I don't. I don't. You mean Freemasonry does use does use a Latin or does just use the all seen eye? What, what is the question? Good question. Let me get a one dollar bill here. Okay. Yeah. Um, it says. Let me put on my high IQ glasses. When I wear these glasses, my IQ goes up. You can actually see it on the screen. It's pretty amazing. Mm-hmm. See, so higher IQ. Uh, Annuit Cheptus uh, Novus Ordo Seculorum. Um, a new order. Okay. Yeah, new yeah. World. N- new new world order. Yeah, or yeah. new new order of the age. And then there's yeah. a there's a pyramid and yep. th- at the tip of the pyramid is um looks like an eye. Yep, all yep. seeing eye. Yep. Vaguely Masonic. Eye. I mean conspiracy theorists they go, see, voila, Americans <laughs> DNA is uh I mean, is Masonic. I mean, the whole thing's satanic. I've heard that before too. I mean, a lot of a lot of a lot of man, Freemasonry has so much influence in the founding of this of this country. I mean, from the, the Constitution itself is a Masonic document. More so, the French um, Constitution, the Declaration of Man, or whatever that is, that's even more Masonic. You know, there's some crossover with the writers with Jefferson and Lafayette. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a lot of crossover in the early history of this country with Freemasons uh, being playing a very influential role in importing Freemasonry into our, our constitution, um, into the capital itself, lots of Masonic symbols, the layout, the layout itself, uh, what the gentleman's name, the, the layout, Lafayette, or I'm um, sorry, L, I'm sorry. Mm. But yeah, the, the layout of Washington itself is, 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 is a Masonic symbol. So a lot of influence, a lot of import. Yes, on a dollar bill, a lot of our currency, you see a, you see a lot of, but again, as I say again, you know, Freemasonry, as far as symbols goes, you know, mm-hmm. nothing nothing is new. It just borrows and repurposes. Uh, can the guest point out, this is Matthew Shadricks again, uh, how one must remove even one's wedding ring for the first degree ceremony. Is that true? Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot of, a lot of in, in the first degree, the inter-apprentice degree, it, it is a requirement that's loosely enforced. I don't like to, you know, you know, I don't, I don't, you know, every jurisdiction is different. It's, it's kind of hard to say. That's why I, I tell Catholics, 
if you're going to get to a conversation with Freemasonry, don't even worry about it. Don't, don't get stuck on a ritual because Freemasons always have an easy out. They'll say, well, in my jurisdiction, that's not what we do. And the conversation yeah. is over. You lost. So, yeah. but in a lot of jurisdictions, you know, um, that, 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 it, well, the interprentice is coming in from out of the darkness into light. So it is the whole, um, we see this in a lot of fraternal initiation rites that this, this, this coming in from darkness into the light, this, mm-hmm. this awakening, this woke moment, right? And so part of this rebirth process for the, for yeah. the, for the, for the initiate, the intro apprentice is that he has to leave all of the world um, outside the door. He has to strip himself down. And this is why he's in his underwear, you know, th- this whole thing. And one of those things is, you know, he, he, he you know, he can't bring any um, weapon into the lodge. Um, um, he, he's the, the, um, is ensured that he's not an assassin. And so, yeah, any metal and any, any anything that that comes from his old life can't come with him into this moment of rebirth. Interesting. Another facsimile of Catholicism. Another kind of aping of a sacrament. Sounds like a um, a cultic version of baptism, in a way. Yeah, so you, yeah, so that, you that's exact, that's a, yeah. Yeah, that's exactly what the three degrees are. I, I think one of the strongest arguments um, that Freemasonry is a religion was was one. Well, I said it in Anderson's Constitution. It calls itself a universal religion. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but but the the second thing was that um, the the three degrees of Freemasonry are sacraments for every every essential purpose that what we think of a sacrament in in this sense mm-hmm. uh, that in the sense of religion the first three degrees are sacraments of Freemasonry. Interesting. A lot of people are asking about whether uh, Catholics who are involved in Freemasonry or someone who is a Mason who wants to become a Catholic. Do you recommend just a good confession or might deliverance prayers? be in order and proper. You know, I know Father Rippinger, uh, I know he's really big on these delivery prayers. Um, you can look and find one online. It's, it's so exhaustive and extensive. It's going through a lot of names you can't even pronounce. Maybe you might find a priest who can pronounce all these things. Um, but I, I, you know, I always stick to, when I, when I, when I came in, mm-hmm. uh, when I became a Catholic, I, you know, I had never been baptized. So for me, um, that was, that suffice. You know the baptism, um, being cleansed of all my original sins, but um, you know I, I stand by the sacraments of the church, making a yeah. good confession. Yeah, just um, definitely bring it up, though. Yeah, you got to bring it up. You got to bring it up. Okay, fair enough. All right. Uh, same guy, Matthew says, fifteen seventeen Luther, seventeen seventeen founding of the Grand Lodge. Of England, 1917, Russian Revolution. Interesting. Um, yeah, and I talk about that. Yeah, I talk yeah. about that in the, in the last chapter of my book. I talk about everything that's happened in in, in 1917 in the, in the crossover and how Freemasonry um, and, and communism, how they they play off each other. And um, I include a document in there as well from from the church that that, that explains the relationship between Freemasonry and communism. Mm-hmm. And um, mm-hmm. and clearly we see the the relationship between Freemasonry and Protestantism, this indifferentism, this yeah. alternative ideas of salvation. So there's there's yeah, yeah 15, 17, 17, 17, 19, 17. Um, some people like to throw in 2017 when Trump was elected, but I don't know. Well, that was 2016. <laughs> I thought you were going to say uh, Pachamama. Oh, Pachamama yeah. in the in the Vatican. 
Pachamama. Well, that was actually you know, 2018. Yeah. Okay, we're just adjust my <laughs> tiny tinfoil hat. Um, right. Next up, uh, Michael uh, Glowatsky says, some Masons I know are frequently knocking down the Catholic Church. I'm glad that I didn't join. Did you see much anti-Catholic bigotry in the lodges in your experience, David? You know, in my in my experience, I did not. The only thing I knew about Catholics was that the Catholic Church says that Catholics cannot be Freemasons, but from our perspective, they can be Freemasons. Yeah. Um, so yeah, never. No, mm -hmm. I never. Yeah, you know, of all the people who I participated in bringing into lodge through their initiations, never encountered a, a, a Catholic. So, who started the Prince Hall division, if you will, the kind of the black subculture within masonry because it sounds yeah, like was it yeah. was that um because i i've taught high school and i you can if everyone listening in a catholic high school setting knows what i'm about to say in the cafeteria the filipinos sit with the filipinos the black kids from they sit with black kids the jamaican black kids sit with them you know you know what i mean uh yeah. no matter what the racial ethnic background people they feel more at home uh, with people with with whom they have a lot in, a lot in common, did that develop naturally, or was that a kind of subtle racist barge pole? You guys can be masons, but you got to have it over here with your your Prince Hall corner. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think there's yeah, I think there's definitely some of that. Yeah, one of my favorite books is why do all the why do all the black kids stick together in the cafeteria? So yeah, it's kind of oh like really? That. <laughs> yeah, That's funny. Um, but it, there's some of that. Um, so, so Prince Hall, he was an, an abolitionist in, in the Boston area, and um, him and, and uh, fourteen other gentlemen were initiated into Freemasonry in uh, an Irish lodge, an Irish military lodge hmm. that was there in, in Boston. So their first encounter with Freemasonry, becoming Freemasons, was you know not not them just starting this thing up, but they were initiated into a, an Irish lodge. Mm -hmm. I, the the military left town. They left Prince Hall a, a warrant behind. A warden gave them the the uh, permission to bury their dead. Sometime and they're able to meet. March on St. John's Day. So as time go on, Prince Hall he petitions. What was that at that time called the Grand Lodge of England? This is 1776. Um, he petitions the Grand Lodge of England. What it was called at that time in 1813, they would change their name to the United Grand Lodge of England after some mergers. But yeah, so they petitioned the Grand Lodge of England for a charter. The Grand Lodge of England gives it to them, knowing full well that these are black men in America. There's no issues there with that. Mm -hmm. And so Prince Hall initially, he had tried to get into a mainstream or predominantly white lodge at that time. Um, he was not allowed um, in America, just, you know, the issues at that time. Yeah. And so, but, uh, so from that point on, from the, the seven, um, 1770s on, Freemasonry among black men, and the Black Protestant Church, they grow up together. Um, there's a lot mm -hmm. of overlap between the two. They share the same building. Sometimes they share the same members. People like Richard Allen, who started the African-American Episcopal Church. Uh, Freemason, Prince Arthur Freemasonry participates in the Underground Railroad. Um, so um, in, in its peak, in its peak, yeah. in its peak, Prince Arthur Freemasonry in the United States had, you know, approaching like a, a million members. Wow. So, and so this, this continues on as prejudice um, until like the late 1980s, early 1990s, when uh, Freemason, when racism and segregation and prejudice is no longer the cool thing to do. Mm -hmm. So 
Um, so they start um, your mainstream lodges, as they're called, Grand Lodges and your Prince Hall Lodges. They begin to start recognizing that each other exist and they start, you know, sharing um, meetings and start meeting with each other. And yeah. to this day, um, that's that's generally the case. Prince Hall Freemasonry is recognized as a you know regular Grand Lodge um, by most Masonic bodies. You know, there's still some states like Mississippi where, you know, <laughs> and even I think even Missouri, I don't know for sure, but I'm pretty sure Missouri is, is another one of those where, you know, they, you know, they, you know, you know, Freemasonry has never dealt with its, its racist issues. It just, ne- yeah. it just never has. Um, even back, man, in like the 1800s. And this is why I want to bring this up real quick, because you touched on this before about some Freemasons bring up, oh, well, that's just, you know, those European Masons. Mm-hmm. So Freemasonry, they, they, Freemason has these standards about who's regular and who's not regular, right? Who's clandestine, who's not clandestine, um, who has the right sacraments and who doesn't. And so um, so you, you have really just two competing groups. You have what's called your Anglo Freemasons, mm-hmm. which Prince of Freemasonry would now, now belong to. Um, and then you have what are called Continental Freemasons. Your yeah. Continental Freemasons tend to go by, not by Grand Lodge, but by the term Grand Orient. So you have the mm-hmm. Grand Orient of France and Grand Orient of Italy. And so we, we hear a lot about these. Um, Pope Leo, um, you know, he references these. But in uh, Itzi Mota, um, by um, Pius the um, Ninth, was it was it him? No, I think it was Benedict the Fourteenth. I think in, in um, they're one of the first popes that say that no, it doesn't matter which Grand Lodge you belong to. Um, all the Freemasonry is yeah. is banned. Whole it, doesn't, it, doesn't, yeah. it doesn't matter. So yeah. we're very early on in our history. We dealt with that whole. We don't care that Freemasons are competing with one another about who's in and who's not. Yeah. Um, and there is some differences in a third degree between your Continental and your Anglo's, but even that doesn't matter because mm-hmm. the, 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 it's the principles of Freemasonry that are irreconcilable with um, the Catholic Church, not jurisdictions. Gotcha. Two questions. Question one. The second one's a little more controversial. Um, number one, how many U.S. presidents have been Masons? Is that known? Yeah, um, it's, it's, it's arguable. Um, Most half. Oh no, my gosh, it's, it's under it's under ten. Oh, um, okay. Yeah, because that's under, conspiracy theorists have a, a field day with this. Bill Clinton, <laughs> W, uh, George W, the you know um, George Bush, the the senior, Skull and Bones. It's all kind of one big soup of uh, covert secret societies, and it, it's they're hard to tease out and parse apart because they're by definition right. secretive. So it's hard to prove all yeah. this stuff. So you think it's l- right. less than ten percent of U.S. presidents were Masons? Yeah, I want. I want to say. Um, I'm trying to trying to find it in my book, but I want. I want to say this, the numbers. I think about eight. So there's definitely there's Washington, there's Jefferson, um, Madison. I want to say everybody that's in that. What's that? That played us out now. I was going to um, say even Hamilton. Yeah, 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 Hamilton as well. All those guys, that's in that play. They're all Freemasons. Ah, they they <laughs> hit it, though. They hit it. Right. <laughs> yeah, no songs about it. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, okay, second question. Do you believe any— Okay, so here it yeah, is. Go ahead. Top the eight, eight. Eight, Just okay. Eight of the first 25 mm. presidents um, the United States were, 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 were Freemasons. So that's on— um, but you yeah, that's on page eight, page on eight, page eighty six. So we have George Washington, James Monroe, yeah. Andrew Jackson, James K. Polk, 
mm-hmm. James Buchanan, um, Andrew Jackson, James Garfield, and William McKinney. Um, the others are also known to have been Freemasons include Roosevelt, Taft, Harding, uh, Franklin D. Roosevelt, Harry S. Truman, and Gerald Ford. Interesting. Yeah. All right. Here's the controversial question from Coffinationista member David Martinez. Have any popes been Masons? What we can, what was, and not former Masons, sure? not former Masons, as we discussed with Leo the Thirteenth, oh. but covert okay. on the throne, but secretly oh, Masonic. Oh, not Freemasons, not not made Freemasons in their youth. Okay, no, um, correct. No, no, I, 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 you know, my research, I never d- discovered one pope who was an active Freemason. None on the the. Um, Mm-hmm. In, in, propag- in the propaganda lodge, was started propaganda lodge that started in England. Always can always had your your Catholics and prominent people in society who were yeah. Freemasons. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a, a Pope never showed up on any of those lists. Never on uh, Piccarelli's list or any lists. Of, so, yeah. So I, I've never found anything of, of active Freemason. Mm-hmm. Um, Next. A, a week from Tuesday, I'm going to be interviewing Paul Kengor, who's a political science professor, wonderful biographer, and he has a book called The Devil and Karl Marx. And he marshals a really impressive array of evidence that points to the possible... He doesn't say it. I think it's more than probable that Karl Marx was possessed by oh. a demon. And there's lots of evidence from, from his own writings, his poetry. His, uh, he wrote a play, which very demonic. Um, his daughters, two of his daughters, most of them died before he did. Uh, two of them died in a suicide pact with both of their husbands. Very strange stuff surrounding Karl oh. Marx. And one of the things that he brings out in the book is that the documents of the Second Vatican Council removed and didn't even include the first schemas, the first drafts that started to be written in 1962. Um, a lot of it was dropped altogether in what became the four main documents of the Second Vatican Council. And so what you see, if you read the documents themselves, I mean, forget the kooky spirit of Vatican II. The letter of Vatican II is almost silent on the evils of communism. And it made me wonder about communist infiltration in the church at that level, that they had some possible influence in the editing and the final publication of those docs. Of course, that got me thinking as I was reading through your book about Freemasonry making inroads into Catholic circles in a clandestine way. Yeah. Now, yeah. again, it's hard to prove this, but is, that, is it an unreasonable thesis to think that, that Freemasons have a, a vested interest in raise, getting uh, inside and then rising as high as they can inside Catholicism, which is really, on the global stage, David, it's the biggest enemy of Freemasonry, yeah. It, the teachings against it are so clear. The Catholics can't be Masons. So there is a, a motivation there to send moles inside the Church of Rome, right? Am I, yeah. am I overplaying the card here? No, I think you're absolutely right. And uh, the Freemasons have always, from the very beginning, Freemasons have always been in the Catholic Church, have, have always been. And we've, we've never dealt with the issue. We've, been, we've never had a, um, an inquisition of Freemasons. Mm-hmm, we just never mm-hmm. have. And we just never been able to get rid of them. Famous ones, unfamous ones. You know, talking about people like Hayden and Mozart. You know, Freemasons. Um, 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 Pope Clement the Twelfth, um, his nephew um, Neri, 
Um, he seems mm-hmm. to be, if he's not a Freemason, he's very defensive about Freemasonry. Mm. And so just just from, you know, just from the very beginning, there's just always been this war. Initially, the war was this. Initially, the war was this. Um, and why there was great suspicion by Freemasonry, that Freemasonry was thought to be an, an English export, which it is. You know, it yeah. comes from England. It's an English export. The problem with that was that at that time, England had a, you know, it was ruled by the people. It had a parliament. This is a great threat to the monarchy rule. And so that's why there's this great suspicion about these Freemasons meeting in public. What are they talking about? And, you know, at this time in history, there's always these plots of revolution and things like this that's going on. So, so that was initial threat of Freemasonry. And, you know, you look at Leo's documents, you look at, you know, what was called Kulturkampf, uh, which is, I don't know, a well, culture German Kampf, word. Yeah, yeah it's, it's where we get culture, culture war. Culture war, yeah. Yeah, culture war. Or, or struggle, so that, Mein Kampf, same word, yeah. Now that that was the issue, and they, you know, the Pope's always blamed Freemasons for that. Whether, you know, we, you know, it's it's amazing that we hear this now. We hear about you know the notion of separation of church and state. There was a time when the church thought that was ridiculous, right? Separation of church and state, but it's not really. You can't really square that circle. <laughs> it's not Catholic <laughs> teaching. Um, anyway, yeah, yeah, that's that's another another topic it's for so, another show. But so so, so they were. The Pope's, go ahead. When the popes are looking at things like the Freemasons promoting state taking over the school, state taking over marriage, they're always blaming Freemasons for that. So there's always this war between the the Freemasons and the church about power and control and influence, like who has Mm -hmm. more influence over the state. The position that, that a lot of governments use Freemasons in a lodge for was to push against um, the influence of the Catholic Church, and that still goes on today. Um, you know, you still yeah. have Freemasons up and down the Catholic Church, and there's there's still this war to water down and weaken yep. what the Church teaches, even our even 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 the liturgy. So, hundred percent, yeah, the liturgy is really the heart of it, isn't it? I know you wrote yeah. a book about this, Divine Symphony. Divine Symphony. I will yeah. be paid handsomely for that reference, right? <laughs> per, per our agreement. And it was, um, funny, it was funny. It was funny. It was funny when I was writing this book, um, Patrick, because you know, in this book, you know, I'm coming down hard on Mozart. You know, shame on him. Um, but in Divine Symphony, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm talking about, you know, the brilliance of how he, you know, constructed the the symphony orchestra, and how he and he learned that from from the mass. So, mm-hmm. so I, I, you know, you know, bad <laughs> yeah. people can sometimes do awesome things, do, right? Yeah. Certifiable <laughs> musical genius, that's true. <laughs> he was. Uh, I'm not the first person to notice this, but I wanted to throw this past you and get your take on it. I see a lot of similarities between Freemasonry and uh, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Oh, yeah. What are the s- sort of points of similarity in cobbling together sources from outside themselves? Yeah. Um, and it was, it, in the Church of Latter-day Saints... The Mormons, um, this is not something they even deny. That that Hiram Revels, I believe his name was Hiram, uh, one of the, one of the uh, principal founders of their their church, was a Freemason. He mm. was um, prior to him becoming um, him starting his religion, and so uh, so there's a lot of influence there in their initiation rites. Um, you know yeah. the secrecy with what's going on in a temple. They haven't. They they even have uh, you know uh, you know call it a degree, call it a sacrament, whatever. Call it the Order of Melch- 
Melchizedek, Melchizedek. Yeah, Melchizedek. In the yeah. Mormons. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and so that that's that's uh, probably one of their most Masonic um, rituals. You know, you yeah. call it. So, um, yeah, a lot of a lot of a lot of influence, and that's something that they even deny. But they what they what they will say was that they would just go with the law of coincidence. Ah, you know, a lot of people wear white underwear underneath their clothes, you know, that type of thing. Funny you say underwear. That's what got me thinking about Mormonism. You said, you have to bring, you can just show up in your underwear. I thought, magic Mormon underwear. No offense to Mormons. But that, hmm, you, can't, you can't bring your nine millimeter in your, in your undies. Uh, no, no, no weapon. Deacon Patrick Lappert says, hey, what did I miss? <laughs> well, go back and hit play from the beginning, Deacon. Great to have you, as always. Hey, Deacon. <laughs> um, yeah, someone points out that um, Archbishop uh, Athanasius Schneider, whom I've interviewed, has called me a Freemasonry the anti-church. Mm. That makes sense. Yeah. That's, an, That's another good. connection with with communism, which is another. Yeah, I think I think it was Leo the Thirteenth, because I think he was the first person to call it the synagogue of Satan, which I think is the. Um... That's from the from Revelation too. Yeah, yeah. So that, that was the first time it kind of overlapped. So I think yep. that's a that's an awesome an awesome um, thing to call mm-hmm. it. Uh, John Rovetto asks, would you say that the movie National Treasure was a Freemason version of the Da Vinci Code? Did you see National Treasure? With no, Nicholas Cage, it's a National Treasure. No, I didn't. No. I did okay. not. Well, that was awkward. Okay. Um, <laughs> Deacon Patrick says, L'Enfant. I think that might have been a surname we were reaching for, L'Enfant. Maybe, Deacon, if you can explain what you mean by the word the infant in French there. Uh, okay. Oh, Bob Sullivan points out the I shows up in some Catholic art, too. There's one in a Catholic church near me. Possibly, It's probably a different I. I think the I in Masonic imagery is not the uh, iconic version of, of God's presence in Catholic art. That's, I think that's the case. Do you know much about that, David? Yeah, I mean, you know, I was, you know, it's one of those things again. You know, does Freemasonry own the eye? You know, mm, I think right. a lot of people, you know, people were using the the, the swastika long before the Ku Klux Klan got a hold of that. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, you know, yeah, Freemasonry just borrows and repurposes. Uh, Lorraine Tebow says Mormonism. Little Joey took much of their rituals from the Masons too. Yeah, that's that's a good point. Um, I wonder what the rolled up trouser leg symbolizes. Bob Sukranth. What what is that? Oh, so he may have seen some of the. Um, is that more art? A lot of old Masonic art. Yeah, it always mm. shows, um, you know, a man in a black suit and his his trouser legs rolled up. Um, and uh, I don't know. I don't. Yeah. I don't. Know. Well, okay. Yeah, it, w- it would be that. So sometimes. Uh, if a person is being initiated, sometimes it is down to their their boxer briefs or you know their their tidy whities or whatever. Um, Fruits of the some, loom. Sometimes, yeah, yeah. And sometimes um, it's just um, you know your pants leg rolled up. For women, you know, for your women Freemasons, people don't know there's women Freemasons in co Freemasonry. You know, of course the women don't get down to their to their underwear. So um, the rolled up leg, you know, will symbolize you know mm-hmm. that the same thing. And they're kids groups, right? Demole, daughters yeah, of the Eastern yeah, Star. Yeah, you have your so Demole, your, your, yeah, yeah, because you want to bring yeah, you the, the women, the the kids, everyone, everyone, the family that um, does occult things together stays it's together. Dis- stole, stole. Is that is that a thing? Is that, a- is that you just made it a thing, <laughs> sir? Um, I know you don't talk about the Alta Vendita uh, much in your book, um, kind of the field manual. 
but uh, yeah. it's a good thing to read, uh, as is your book. For folks who've just joined us, David L. Gray is former Mason leader, author of The Catholic Catechism on Masonry, very muscular subtitle, A Theological and Historical Treatment on the Catholic Church's Prohibition Against Freemasonry and its Appendant Masonic Bodies. David, I feel like we've just begun to scratch the white of the eggshell here, or if it's uh, a Costco organic egg, the brown shell of the egg. Um, always always lots to talk about because it's a it's a topic with wheels within wheels. But uh, thanks so much oh, for yeah, joining us. Just, appreciate just your time I today. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for having me. This is a live stream with me, Patrick Coffin, co-founder of Coffin Nation. Uh, we do this once a week inside uh, Coffin Nation. Check it out. It's called Ask Away Thursdays. Um, about once a month, we open the doors up to see the kind of exchange of ideas. We have a culture to take back. No one's going to take back our culture unless we do. This is especially true of disciples of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and the church that he founded, the only hope in a crazy topsy-turvy world the One Holy Catholic and Apostolic Church. David L. Gray, thanks for being a gift. Good to see you again. Peace. All right. This is the Patrick Coffin live stream. And as always, be a saint. What else is there?